Welcome back to Decision Making in Public Service. In this lecture, I'll be covering Chapter 1 and Chapter 2 of the Thomas Metzinger book, The Ego Tunnel, The Science of the Mind, and the Myth of the Self. And if you haven't already, you should start with a previous lecture um, that talks about the myth of the self, that talks about uh, the ego tunnel, consciousness, and subjective experience. All right, so in this chapter we learn a little bit more about consciousness and what is the current state of understanding and research of consciousness. And Mezinger starts out early in the chapter, the very first sentence in the chapter, and says, Consciousness is the appearance of a world. Continues on. The essence of the phenomenon of conscious experience is that a single and unified reality becomes present. Still further, he says, if you are conscious, a world appears to you. All right. So he then says, consciousness is a very special phenomenon because it is part of the world and contains it at the same time. And finally, for this section, he says, What sets human consciousness apart from other biologically evolved phenomena is that it makes a reality appear within itself. It creates inwardness. The life process has become aware of itself. Okay. Mazinger here is laying out how he defines consciousness. And this is... Uh, maybe a little difficult to think about, but you can think of consciousness as just everything that you experience that makes up your view of the world. Because maybe before the last lecture, what you didn't know was that wasn't you weren't directly in contact with reality. You have a phenomenal self-model that interprets sensory inputs and then has conscious experience, but it doesn't perfectly replicate reality or all the information that is really out there. Um, but to you, it is your world. When you're awake, you feel part of a world. You're, you're observing a world that appears to you as being reality and, and the real world. It's part of your phenomenal self-model is this conscious experience, this conscious appearance of a world. Interestingly, um, one of the things that Metzinger notes early on in this chapter um, is that the empirical evidence, quote, the empirical evidence for animal consciousness is now far beyond any reasonable doubt, which will, um, will highlight, which does highlight that consciousness is a continuum. It's not a complete lights on advanced representational content, uh, ability to use language. It's a, it's a continuum of a self-model, along a self-model. And best guesses are that this is a pretty recent phenomenon, consciousness in the scheme of, of evolution. Um, 
and even more recently has been have philosophers and scientists begun to reflect more critically on this phenomenon and trying to understand it better. And it really is a challenge because what much of science has done is look at things from the third person point of view and measuring them. This is asking about subjective experiences and what they are and what are their contents and what do they mean. And it's a, there are different challenges to um, studying that scientifically that until really neuroscience tackled these in some fascinating ways more recently, um, weren't getting a lot of serious treatment. And it turns out, without going into too much detail, there are whole books on this. Uh, the one that I've read recently uh, that um, that I could recommend is Ray, Ray Kurzweil. has a book out from about, I guess, 2012 that is essentially canvassing all of the neuroscience literature on what constitutes a mind and how to create a mind. But neuroscience has given us neurons and neural networks and uh, descriptions of how these basic units of the biological brain work together to process the functioning of the brain. And we know a good bit about it, although not everything, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what we do know is that these neurons work together with other neurons in your brain when they discharge or when they change their frequency, and they do it in kind of in tandem. They do it together with other neurons. The actual kind of process is not centralized. It's distributed in lots of places in the brain, but, are, but neurons are activated at similar times. And part of what neuroscience has been trying to do is understand when different neurons are activated or when they work uh, at the same time, they're correlated. They're working together. And part of what it is, is part of what neuroscience is, is trying to figure out what neural correlates, what correlations of neurons firing gives rise to different functionings of the brain. And you might Think of this as neural, neural correlates of consciousness, consciousness. And so the idea is that empirically there are some, there is some set of, of activity among some set of neurons in your brain that give rise to different types of phenomenal experiences or subjective experiences or conscious experiences. When you feel pain, that activates some set of neural correlates in your brain that give rise to the conscious experience of that pain. And researchers are looking for what they call a global neural correlate of consciousness, which is to get more fully at the overall directing, experiencing, of attention uh, more broadly that the total set of conscious experience that's accessible to you. But they don't have that yet. 
and another piece of consciousness, not only, um, as I mentioned earlier, is it a continuum, doesn't just not exist at all, or completely exist as humans have it, or as I have it, or as you have it. It's not, as Metzinger puts it, a, quote, unitary phenomenon. It has, as Metzinger says, quote, many discernible aspects, memory, attention, feelings, perception of color, self-awareness, and higher order thought. And those aren't all the same across all subjective experiences. One of the defining characteristics that Metzinger claims as at the heart of the conscious experience, despite all these variations, is the appearance of a world. Another piece of this which I mentioned earlier is that consciousness is, by all accounts and all evidence, located internally, and it is a function of neural correlates in your brain, biological processes. So, as Metzinger says uh, on, uh, in, in this next quote, whatever else may or may not be true about consciousness, once all the internal properties of your nervous system are set, all the properties of your conscious experience its subjective content and the way it feels to you are fully determined. So by all evidence, if we can figure out actual correlates of the neurons that work together in tandem to produce a conscious experience, you will produce that conscious experience. It is defined fully by the neural correlates in your brain. So this is a lot uh, about consciousness. Um, there are lots of examples in the book that might be useful to, to reread and to wrestle with. Um, but I'm going to keep marching on um, towards chapter two. And as an introduction to chapter two, at the tail end of chapter one, we learn that Metzinger believes that there is uh, a number of characteristics or qualifications or, or criteria that a theory of consciousness needs to satisfy uh, to be believable. And he lays out a few of them. And at the end of chapter one, he says, any convincing theory of consciousness will have to explain why this does not seem so to us. Therefore, let us embark on a brief tour of the ego tunnel. Examining some of the most important problems for a philosophically as well as neuroscientifically convincing theory of consciousness. We will discuss six of these in detail. We will discuss six of them in detail. First, the one, pro the one world problem or the unity of consciousness. The second, the now problem or the appearance of a lived moment. The third, the reality problem, or why you were born as a naive realist. The fourth, the ineffability problem, or what we will never be able to talk about. The evolution problem, or the question of what consciousness was good for. And finally, the who problem, the one that we've been mentioning, 
or the issue of what is the entity that has the conscious experience. If there is no separable self from your biological brain, who is experiencing consciousness? And as Metzinger highlights at the end of this chapter, these problems go from easiest to hardest. Okay, so moving on from trying from attempting to define consciousness, and again, consciousness just being at its core an appearance of a world, an appearance of your reality. Which, if we didn't know that there was a directly a direct reality out there that we can measure, we wouldn't have known that the the ego tunnel was just that—that that it was a tunnel, that it wasn't actual reality. But we know that now. And we, uh, Metzinger suggests that we have this phenomenal self-model that, again, gives rise to uh, a conscious experience, a subjective uh, experiencer, um, and we think of that person, that entity, as the ego. And then we learned that, again, consciousness is the appearance of a world. It contains everything it is and contains everything that we experience. But that's not really enough to give a satisfactory answer to what is consciousness. So we're going to walk through these six questions, or these six problems that Metzinger gives us for trying to better understand this model of consciousness.